0: Good to see everyone out this morning. It's good to be here with you all. I appreciate the opportunity that you all have extended me to be able to travel here and to open up God's Word and have another Bible study. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are as well. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Lee Elkins, and I have my whole crew with me. If you hear an echo in from the audience, that would be my nine-month-old. Uh, but he means no harm. Uh, but again, it's just—it's good to see everyone out uh, this morning. And uh, due to time, uh, we will go ahead and just dive on into our lesson this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about failures. What if we fail? And that could—that's like a broad spectrum, right? You know, we can fail in a lot of things in life. For those of us who's in school, young children, they can fail in a lot of things. Homework, classwork, tests. Same thing in college, right? College students, surely you know how that is. If you don't go to class, what's going to happen? You're going to fail the class because the teacher's going to drop you from the class. All kinds of things, right? Work. Can we fail at work? Absolutely. Can we fail as being Christians? That's kind of a tough one to answer because if we're faithful Christians, then how often do we fail? Are there failures in life? And see, that's something that we have to look at within ourselves. Do we fail or are we just complete utter failures? And see, that's something that I believe that we can differentiate Within ourselves, and we, we can see that there's a difference between those two ideas. And uh, one of the, I have a statement here. I don't know who the author is of this statement. I, I've tried looking it up. I just, I remember seeing it one time doing, during my studies, and I said, that's, that's, it's got such a powerful background to it, and I said, that's just good. And like I said, I've been looking for who wrote it, but I can't find it. Uh, but oftentimes we allow our past failures to haunt us, and our present failures, they torment us, and our future failures, they worry us. And what is it that the Bible tells us? What was it that Paul said? He says, be anxious for what? Anybody? Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. That kind of closes the door to a lot, right? Be anxious for nothing. That means that there's really no room for error. There's no gap. There's no middle ground. There's just... When we go through life, if we stand by that principle alone and we are having stresses up to our eyeballs, right? Especially us parents. We know how it is. All of us parents in this room are kids, have had us to that moment, right? Where we just want to strangle them, right? We, we've all been there. We're stressed up to our eyeballs. And yet, in the back of our minds, if we are people of the Bible, if we are people of God's Word, we're going to remind ourselves that be anxious for nothing. And for those of you who might know my seven-year-old... And if you haven't gotten to meet him, I I encourage you to go meet my seven-year-old because you will understand exactly what I'm talking about. And we all have those children in our lives. Don't get me wrong, I love them to death. But our past failures haunt us. And and this is something that we're going to discuss further in the lesson. But when we focus on the past... For example, if you were to try to see me walk down one of these two aisles and I'm looking back this way, how successful do you think I'm going to be walking down these aisles without running into pews and tripping over the pews? Our past failures haunt us. They they hold us back because we keep holding on to something that's it's already over with and done with, right? There's nothing that can change about it. You can't change anything about it other than your Reaction and response to it, right? The way you address it, the way you live your life after the fact. Because you can't go back in time and say, well, I would have decided to do whatever it is that's haunting you, whatever it is that's troubling you. You can't go back and do that. So our past failures haunt us. And then in the time, in the moment that we are living in, the present it torments us because well how how many of us love monday mornings for especially those of us who are still in the you know working whether it's secularly or anything of that nature monday mornings is just grand right students in college you know you got to go back to school you got to go back to classes we just love mondays right Although for us today, that would be our future worries us. we're worried about tomorrow. He's kind of like a double-edged sword. But think about this for just a moment. Have you ever noticed that the Bible does not gloss over characters who had major flaws? David. He's a pretty important character, isn't he? What about Moses? Do you think he was an important person in God's Word in helping perform God's work, His plan of bringing out the children of Israel? And all because he decided instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock and spoke to the congregation. Instead of speaking to the rock, he couldn't go into the promised land. But the Bible doesn't gloss over him. It doesn't gloss over the failures of people like David, of people like Moses. What about Peter? Right? Everybody knows the story of well, the story. How many times did Peter have to be rebuked by the Lord? How you know uh, when he's reminded that uh, you're going to deny me three times, and his his response was essentially, "Well, no, not me." You know, I, I would never do such a thing, right? And yet sometimes we find ourselves in that instance where that's not going to affect me because I'm different. I'm bold. I am strong. But see, when we're anxious for something, that, what does that do? That weakens us. That hard shell that we are building up around ourselves, it's not that hard really. Really? What we're doing is we're softening it for who? What's Satan's ultimate job? What is he trying to do? He's trying to take us away from God, ultimately. And if you think he's not at work, then just look at the world. If you believe that he's not at work. So again, think about characters such as David, Moses, and and Peter. And, And so there's obviously a purpose there where God's Word gives us these examples so that we can look at... These are people that understands. Even Christ understands. He suffered. He bled. He died. He was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. You don't think Jesus was stressed? Think about the time where He walked into the house of worship, the temple of God, and there's a bunch of merchandisers everywhere. What was His response? Was it nonchalant, just, oh, I ain't worried about it. No, he started turning over tables and he drove them out of the temple. But he didn't allow that to consume him. See, it's that consumption factor where our lives become consumed with the failures and so we just ultimately say, well, we're just so broken we can't do right. Right? I'm just so broken. I'm just such a failure in life that I can't do what's right. So God's just going to have to accept me for who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm going to live in sin. I'm never going to repent of the sin because that's just who I am. And you know what? The problem is, is that the denominational world, and not just them, it's creeping into the Lord's church. You better start looking out for it. People are teaching this, that you can't do right. And I promise you, if you go back in your lives and you, and you think about the things that you've erred on, there was always a way out. You may not have liked the way that there was a way out, but there was always a way out. But ultimately, I say all this to say this. That, you know, the purpose of these types of examples for us is it's to give us hope so that we can see that, that there is a better way that there is a way out and that we can do what's right and that we don't have to be concerned and, and consumed with all of this negativity. What if we fail? Okay, and, and this is something that my grandfather told me many years ago. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, it was Brother Ed Die. He told me this. He said, all sins are mistakes, but not all mistakes are sins. And that at first I didn't understand that. And then I became a parent. And then I, you know, I became a Christian. I became a husband. I became a parent. And I've aged and matured over the years. And obviously, I'm still young and wet behind the ears. I'm not going to deny that. But I'm starting to understand the point that he was making. Think about it like this when unbelievers sin and they are shown their error, they are shown that they're wrong, if they don't care, do you think they're going to change? No. But if a Christian sins, he sins, he separates himself from God, and he's told of his error, and he's shown the truth, A Christian, a faithful Christian, is going to do what? They're going to repent. It's kind of like what 1 John tells us. Uh, This is another example. I guess we could go there real quick. Over in 1 John chapter 5, where it talks about, uh, in verse 16, "...if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sin not leading to death." And then it says, There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. So, what is sin that leads to death? I submit to you that sin that leads to death is unrepented sin. It's sin that you continue to live in, you refuse to change, you refuse, basically, you're stubborn. You're hard-headed. Remember when Stephen was preaching there in Acts chapter 7, and he basically called them stubborn as mules? What did they do? Did they change? No, they stoned them. They stayed in the error of their ways. And so I say all this again to, to address several points this morning that there are principles that are found in Scriptures, and if you will, you can turn to Romans chapter 5. We'll be going to Romans 5 next. There are principles that are found in Scripture that we can look at and see and answer the question, what if I fail? Because it's it's a serious question to to ask because... If you fail, what does that ultimately mean? Game over, right? And if it's game over in life, once you hit the tombstone, there's no coming back, there's no reset button for those of you who are gamers. There's no redo. There's no do-over. You can't pause life or rewind life. Life goes on. It continues, regardless if you are here or not. And so are there principles given in Scripture that we can look at and say, how can I better address these issues in my life? I'm so consumed with failing. And so in turn, I become a failure. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I submit to you, uh, here in Romans chapter 5, this is a good context to glean from, to to consider. Romans chapter 5, and starting at, Verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Okay? What if I fail? Okay, maybe there's someone in here this morning, and if you're visiting here, I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that there's something that you can take from whether it's the lesson that, I'm attempting to bring, or Bible class, or the next lesson that I bring, I hope that there's something in, within this morning that will help you see life in a more clearer understanding, in a way that helps you see that, that life's not just a bunch of gray area. I'm not saying that everything in life is black and white but that it's not just a giant gray area where we just go through life not knowing anything. What if I fail? If I fail as a father, there's three important reasons right there in the pew with my wife. If I fail as a husband, but what happens if I fail as a Christian? How many people does that affect? Because we're told to go do what? Be what? Lights of the world. There's so much to consider. And so we look at this for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. If you fail, get up. You know, I'm going to use baseball as an analogy for just a moment as an example. There's nothing worse than going out, and let's just say you're going to have a double header. So you've got two two baseball games, and in the first game, you bat five times, and you strike out all five times. Ooh, that's tough. Anybody that knows baseball, you know that next game. How confident are you stepping into the batter's box the next game? You're not very confident. But see, Jesus helps alleviate that for us. Because we strike out in life. We might hit the ball. But what happens sometimes? Someone catches it and throws us out, right? Jesus helps alleviate that. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is expecting us to go out and hit home runs every time. That's that's not what I'm saying. The fundamentals, and this is in all walks of life, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, soccer, volleyball, tennis, work. How about being an ethical person? Think think about the principles behind being a, a person of ethics. Someone who does the right thing even when no one's looking. How, how many people do we know who are not ethical? Right? Think about these things. Jesus helps alleviate these hindrances. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What if I fail? So what? it's the response and the reaction that if i fail in in some area of life do i address it do i co- have corrective action there we go that's what i was looking for i was trying to brew something in the back of my mind i couldn't think do i have corrective action in my life where i realized that huh that that uh What's it called? Where you hindsight's 2020, and so we have that corrective measure in our life where we realize, oh, I don't need to do that anymore. That stove burner is hot, right? Young children learn that at an early age, right? You're you're cooking on a stove, and all of a sudden they reach up and touch it, even though you've told them 20,000 times, don't touch that stove, and they do it anyways. So hopefully for the next time you're cooking, you're like, hey, remember what happened last time? And then they realize they look at that blister, that huge blister on their hand. And they take corrective measure. I'm going to leave the kitchen, right? This is something to, to look at. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15. What about the prodigal son? We, we all know the story of the prodigal son, so hopefully I'll, I won't have to read all of this, but essentially what takes place is as this son comes up to his father and he says, you are as good as dead to me. Because he, he tells him, give me my inheritance. Give me what's mine And I'm gonna go on my way. Well, in that culture, in that type of society, essentially what he's telling his father is, You're as good as dead to me. I don't need you. I don't want you. You can't give me anything that I need. You, You can't provide anything that I need any longer. Just give me what's mine so I can go and live my life. But his father's still alive. So his father can still have influence on him, but his son's saying, you you no longer have influence on me. And he moves on. Well, we know the story. He, He squanders it all away, and he realizes that the father's servants and his own animals lived better than he did. And so he goes back. But think about it. Had the prodigal son, and we'll read a passage here in just a moment. If the prodigal son focused solely on why he left home, do you think he would have ever returned? That's the point that I'm wanting us to see and wanting us to make. If he focuses solely on how did I fail, why did I fail, why did I leave... And he never looks beyond that. But see, he didn't focus on... He realized my, my father's servants, his animals, everything is living better than I am. I have nothing. And so what does he do? He goes back. Verse 21, Luke 15, 21... And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Let us have a party because my son who was lost has now been what? He's been found. What if I fail?" Okay, in the eyes of God, Jesus died while we were still yet sinners. And if we come back in a timely fa- fashion, is there going to be a celebration or what? What are we told? You know, what is it? What is it that's usually like posted on Facebook when someone obeys the gospel, when someone decides to put Christ on in baptism and have their sins washed away? Forgiven and remembered no more. I always see people posting, the angels are what? Rejoicing in heaven, right? What if you fail? I'm not saying that we need to go through life saying, so what, to everything. I mean, we need to take failure seriously. What I'm saying is is that we need to have a proper perspective. Be anxious for nothing don't allow, allow that failure to consume you because i unfortunately know people who have done just that they they live they go through life living saying essentially i can't forgive myself for that and if i can't forgive myself from that then why would the lord forgive me of that well that's just checkmate match How do you you combat that? How do you argue with that? Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. It's almost impossible to battle that type of mentality because that person has essentially given up. And so what do you have to do? With with, With a horse that's given up, if it's stuck in a mud hole, what do you have to do? You're going to have to go in that mud hole, and you're going to have to drag that horse out, because a horse, once it gives up, it's ready to die. And so when someone goes through life saying, well, I can't forgive myself of this, and so if I can't forgive myself of this, then neither can God, then again, the type of picture that we're painting is we're, we're essentially saying, I give up. And yet there's there's young people, people younger than me, who do this. And they just give up on, on life. They give up on spiritual life. And it's unfortunately, we live in a society where everything's physical, right? But we're told, don't lay up your treasures here on earth, but lay them where? In heaven, where moth and rust does not what? Does not destroy it. But we put so much focus on the things that we have. That's what comforts us. That's our security blanket. Someone said 940, right? Okay, good. So Philippians chapter 3, and drop down to verse 12. Paul says, Not that I had already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which... Also, I was laid hold of it by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. Now for those who are Christians, right, we're told in Galatians, I believe it's chapter 5, that, that we've crucified the flesh when doing so. And when when we talk about the deeds of the flesh and the, uh, the the fruits of the spirit, okay, we put on the fruits of the spirit, but we crucified the flesh. But the problem is, is that we we still live here. We still are fleshly, right? Nobody denies that. But what's our hindrances? What holds us back? Our past, the present stressors of life. The future worries. Right? If God clothes the, the field and grass and He takes care of the birds of the air, isn't He going to take care of you too? Sure. So don't be worried about tomorrow. So we think about Peter denying Christ. He went away weeping bitterly. Do you think he, he changed his mind? after he denied Christ? Did he allow that failure to hinder him? No. One more last thing and then we'll be done. I I just want to make these last two statements. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will never be a failure. But... You can never call yourself someone who's successful if you reject Jesus. If you reject Jesus in any way, you will never be successful in life. You may may pull the wool over everybody else's eyes, but you're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. And so that's what I want us to think about this morning. What if I fail? Well, what if? And if you do, so what? You have a Savior who went to the cross, who suffered, he bled, and he died all while you were still a sinner. And with that, the lesson's yours.